This morning, I want to share with you the new temple of God. What does this mean? I feel that the church has failed and we have been sidetracked for many, many, many years. We've been deceived, but God is opening up the heavenlies over his church and he's getting the church to recognize who she is once again in her purpose and glory. Now, how many of you know that God has always wanted to dwell with his people? That was God's purpose. And we can see three dwelling places where God had established the priesthood of man so that his presence could dwell among us. The first was the Garden of Eden. In Ezekiel, it's called the Mountain of God. And it's also a garden. In ancient Near East uh, writings, gardens and mountains are where God dwelt. The gods, whatever God you believed. We know that Jehovah God built a garden within Eden and he put man there to oversee that garden. Man was established as the high priest in the physical realm over all that God had created. Psalm 8 tells us that the Son of Man has been given authority over all the realm. David was talking about human beings, mankind. We know the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. He came to restore that fallen position of man. But we were the priests of the Temple of Eden. But we failed, didn't we? And the presence of God came in the coolness of the day, in the ruach, in the wind of the day, to walk among us, and they couldn't, God couldn't find his priests. They were hiding in the bushes. They had failed. We go on in history, and God has planned to redeem mankind so that he may dwell among us and his presence be with us. So he decided to start over. He did it with Noah. That failed. He did it again with a man named Abraham. And his seed, and he incubated his seed and his 12 grandchildren to grow into the uh, tribes of Israel and bring them out of Egypt. And he established the covenant with Israel, a nation by which the, the priesthood would declare the glory of God to all the nations. And so he established the tabernacle. That was the place of meeting, the habitation of God. His presence dwelt there over the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And that was supposed to uh, be established permanently as King David established uh, Jerusalem as the city of God and put on Mount Zion, he wanted to build a tabernacle. He established David's tabernacle there for 30 years. He couldn't build the big tabernacle he wanted, but Solomon, his son, did. The habitation of God's presence on Mount Zion, all of this a reflection of what heaven is. All of this is an imitation of what the throne room of heaven is is and God wants to bring it into the earth and so we know that even that habitation failed in fact in my studies in the gospel of Mark and as I review that gospel Mark uniquely was explaining through Christ to his disciples God's disappointment with the temple in fact, we find it in Mark chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus is going to go into the temple to judge the temple. If anybody could judge whether this thing was right or wrong, it's the Son of God 
whose house it belongs to. And as he was approaching to go into the temple to make judgment and discernment there, he went and he saw a fig tree that had leaves, but it was bearing no fruit. There should have been buds that were preparing to fruit, but there were none, and Jesus cursed the fig tree. We know that the fig tree was, in fact, a symbol of Israel. And Jesus cursed it because they were supposed to be fruitful as the dwelling place of God, a light to the nations, and they were not. And he said, I'm done with you. And as he then moved forward in Mark eleven fifteen, he went into the temple of God and he formed a whip and he turned over the money changers and he drove them out and he stopped the ministry of the temple for a number of hours pronouncing his judgment on the temple. He said, this is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. That word thieves means nationalists. You made it only a concern for yourselves. You've robbed its purpose. You've robbed its function. In the court of the Gentiles, where lost nations were to come to find God, they could not because of the trade and selling for just Israel. And he rebuked it and he stopped it. We go on. This is not just an act to, to say, give a teaching, this is in fact the Son of God bringing judgment on the nation of Israel and the temple of God. When they came back, Peter says, look, there's the fig tree completely withered and dead. You spoke to it and it died. Then, as they turned to leave Jesus and his disciples leaving the Temple Mount, they were amazed at how wonderful and amazing the, the building of the temple was. And Jesus told them in Mark eleven twenty three, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea. If you believe, it shall be done. Now what we've done with that verse is we've taken it out of context and we've used it for an inspirational word that whatever trouble you have, speak to that mountain and it'll be gone. That's true, but that's not the context of what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that if whoever says to a mountain be removed. He said, whoever speaks to this mountain. Jesus and the disciples were standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking Zion. And he was telling them in response to their awe of that building, whoever says to this mountain, be cast into the sea. He's trying to help the disciples understand that the time of the temples of men are over. Brick and mortar habitations of God are over. He is going to give his life as a sacrifice for sin. He is going to die to destroy the curse uh, of sin and death and fulfill the law and be resurrected so that God would bring a temple not made by hands. His confession was at his trial, they said, you said that if you would destroy his temple, he would raise it up in three days. And they know what they're talking about concerning the temple of God. 
He's saying, it's over. He cursed the temple, he cleansed it, and he spoke of its collapse. Mark chapter 13 is all about the end of the temple in Israel. Matthew, Luke, expand that to speak of his return. But in Mark, it is specifically geared towards the destruction of the temple. We try to put it off again till the end times, but that's not what he was saying. In fact, he said, when you see this happening, you should run to the hills. If it's talking about the end times, you'll be raptured. You don't need to run to the hills. He was talking about 70 A.D. when the destruction of that temple came, when God had cursed it, cleansed it, and spoke of its collapse because there's a new temple in the earth. Look at, in the end times, Israel's going to rebuild a temple. And it's not going to matter to God at all. They'll try to offer sacrifice. They'll try to do. There is only one sacrifice that God will ever be pleased with. It is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now they're going to build one to try and fulfill their understanding of the end times. It's going to draw all nations in. And when God gathers all nations in, they're going to see who? Jesus in his return. But what we have to understand is who we are in all of this. It's what we've done with Scripture. We put it off till the end. We've put it off and made us nothing. We've made us just say a prayer and get saved and hope you can do all right till Jesus returns. But Jesus, in fact, said this in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Jehovah, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. I can't tell you how many funerals I've preached that. Because you know what we did with that verse? We've made it a death verse. Someday... 2,000 years now. Someday, someday, Jesus will return and take you to heaven. And I'm excited, aren't you? Because I've got a mansion on a hilltop in glory. Because of a mistranslation in English, we all think we're going to get a Tudor mansion in heaven. I, I can't wait because I've always wanted a, a, a four-car garage. I'm looking for a pool. I'm looking for a mansion up over that hilltop. How about you? And all we've done with the promises of God is we've put them further and further away with no implication to our lives. Do you think that's what Jesus meant when he was comforting his disciples, his apostles? The temple's going to collapse, but hold on, because one day after you live and struggle through life, you'll die and I'll make you a house. That's the plan of God. And we're going to live in heaven forever. No. We weren't made for heaven. You were made to live in a body. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. To have a resurrected body. Heaven is just a holding place till our soul and spirit meets with that resurrected body and we reign and rule on the earth with Christ. 
physically in a resurrected body. This is the gospel, but we don't hear it much. We put it off, and we put it off. The word translated mansion there, in your modern translations, it says there's many rooms. What it means is habitations, dwelling places. In my Father's house are many habitations. And he said, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. What is he preparing for us? The throne room. He's preparing the throne room. And what's the preparation? He is the high priest. He's preparing his church to operate from the earth into heavenly places in the throne room. We have become the temple of God. We are now the government of God's authority on the earth. Somebody say amen. Amen. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, a habitation for you, so that I may take you to where I am, so that where I am, you may be also. Not when you die and go to heaven, but right now. Participate me with me in the throne room. I've made a place for you to come before Father God and speak the will of God into the earth. I've made you the temple of God by which my spirit will dwell and I've prepared the heavenly courts as the high priest for me to intercede and bequeath all that is your inheritance and the will of God to happen in the earth. Somebody get busy. He goes on and he says this in 1423, in case you don't believe me, he goes on and he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our same word, habitation, mansion, abode in you. Same word. So is he going to make his mansion in us when we're dead? No, the context is I am going in my Father's house, in His presence, in His kingdom, in His vastness of who He is are many habitations for you to dwell in, and I'm preparing a place for you. It's the throne room of God for intercession. He later goes on and says, if you love me and keep my words, the Father and I will make our mansion, make our abode, make our rooms, make our habitation in you. Now heaven is on earth, in the church, in the believer, individually, corporately. Any way you break this down, two or three gathered, he's there. His authority is there. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places, abodes, in Christ Jesus. Is that for the future? Is that for when we die? Who's sitting in the throne room with me right now? Who's sitting with Jesus Christ? Who is seated in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ? The church has got to get it right. We've got to get back to understanding what Christ did through the death, resurrection, and ascension into the throne room. We've we've reduced it down to saving souls. That's glorious, but that's not the full manifestation of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Yes, he got rid of 
sin and the grave and death so that his kingdom would come. If I sound a little excited, it's because I am. (laughs) We've got to discover who we are. It's like living as a pauper all our lives to find out that we are in fact sons and daughters of a king. We've got an inheritance that we haven't even cashed in on. And our high priest is interceding day and night waiting for you to join him in the throne room. We are, let me repeat that, seated with Christ. That means we share his throne. We are joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ Jesus. For what? So that we could have a lot of money. So that we could build a mansion here and have bigger cars and have a better life. No! So that we could bring the will of God into this earth and crush the power of Satan as it was done on the cross and kick him out of people's lives and breathe healing and health to people, delivering them from demons and breaking curses off of peoples and generations and bringing the freedom of what Christ wrought on the cross to all. We're a temple. In fact, that's what Paul said. Paul said, That our position is in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple? That's what Paul said. Did you know you're you're God's temple? Oh, well, he's just using an analogy. He's just saying you're, you're like a church building. Decorate yourself well. What do you think Paul was referring to, this rabbi? What do you think this rabbi was saying when he used the word temple? That you're God's holy habitation. You're the Garden of Eden. You're the tabernacle in the wilderness. You're Solomon's temple. All of those were meager compared to the glory of the church. You are God's temple, he says. And he says, God's Spirit dwells in you. The same way that cloud of glory rested over the tabernacle. It doesn't rest on you. It abides in you. The glory that was so great it filled the inner holy of holies to the holy place, to the outer courts, to where the priests couldn't minister. He said, I want my Spirit to pour out of you like rivers of living water. The same glory that filled the tabernacle in the temple fills you. Now touch this world with my glory. Hallelujah. It's not located in Mount Zion. It's not located in one geographical area in Israel. It's located on every continent on this planet. Every city, every block has a temple of God abiding in it. If the church would rise up and join in the throne room and prepare this world for the glory of God, we would change it forever.
And the key component is as Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10 describes, we have a high priest under the order of Melchizedek that is greater than any other priest that could be. He lives and moves and breathes intercession in that courtroom constantly into the earth. And he's waiting for his temples to issue the decrees that are coming from heaven. Have you heard a decree from God lately? Have you heard an issue of the Lord saying, thus saith God, speak to this person. Call up that person. Greet that person over there. Every order you get is coming from the throne room of God. We wonder if it's a suggestion on our own. Hmm, should I witness? Hmm, should I care for that person? Hmm, should I buy that meal for them? Hmm, should I give them 20 bucks? Oh, should I write that letter? Gee, I wonder why I'm thinking of this guy I haven't thought of in 20 years. Because the throne room has commissioned the temple to execute its will in the earth. Stop doubting. Stop wondering. If it's good, do it. Get to know the voice of the Lord. Amen? Now, let's take a look at this work. The work of the temple. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Basically, Believers, the writer of Hebrews is saying that believers have learned to discern good from evil by constant use of the word. All right? We've learned to discern good from evil by constant use of the word. Not only do we have the aid of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of discernment, but what he's saying is my church, my temples, my people can discern good from evil by constantly using the Word of God. What that means is we have to train ourselves for war. Train ourselves by constant use. I don't know about you, but I give up time to time. I don't know. I don't expect any of you that have that problem. But I give up from time to time. Something doesn't work the way I think it should. I have to reevaluate and I kind of take a back seat on the bench. And, it's, and God doesn't want that. We have to train. We have to train. We have to train. How many of you are in training to rule and reign with Jesus Christ? Don't give up. Some of you haven't begun the training. I started training this week for Ecuador. Started doing all my calisthenics and all my exercises. I am in such pain. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, how quickly you can get out of shape? It takes a long time to get into shape. Why do you lose it in a day? My goodness. Think of it spiritually. We quit so easily. We're to be training. Constant use of the word. Training our discernment, constant use. And this is what I'm sharing with you because we have got to train to be the temples of God. We have got to train ourselves to discern good from evil, to discern the voice that's coming from the throne room of God to execute His will, to discern when I'm sitting in the throne room and hearing Him, 
to discern when I'm in the earth and in this place where I've got to deal with it. Look, and I'm not talking about entering into some trance, some secret little thing you find. No, it's discerning whether you're in the throne room, discerning whether God wants you to do something through the constant use of his word and hearing the voice of his spirit. You can discern this. You'll hear the speakers, you'll hear singers, you'll hear different people say, oh, can you feel the presence of God? Because through constant discernment, they know when the Spirit is moving in a house. Have you ever been someplace and you go, oh, praise God, I can feel it. You're discerning, you're discerning. We're temples, the Spirit dwells in us all the time. He doesn't come and go, He's there all the time. Discern Him. Constant use, constant work. We're the temple of the living God. And so we need to grow. Every one of you is responsible. Now come on. You're the temple of God. Oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm no good. Well, are you saved? He made you worthy. Did you receive measure, Lord? Now he's housed in you. Do something with him. You're seated in the throne room. So work at it. Second, we all grow weary. But Paul says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not what? Give up. If we don't give up. The devil knows that's the only thing he has to defeat a Christian. The only way to defeat a Christian is to get us to give up. He cannot stop you temple of God. He cannot stop you. Oh, he might throw this at you and throw that at you. All he can do is try to intimidate you and scare you, try to throw different things at you. The whole reason is so that you will give up. You're the only one who can say, I quit on this effort. You're going to grow weary, but hang in there. Perseverance. It's time to rebuild the temple. It's time for you to rise up in your identity. Get in the throne room with God. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43, 26. Put me in remembrance. Let's argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. I like that. Do you remember when Jacob wrestled in prayer? All night long. That, you know who that angel was, don't you? Jesus, the angel of the Lord. It was Jesus. You know, Jesus could have took him out anytime he wanted. Right? Remember when Jacob finally grabbed Jesus, holding that angel of the Lord right on his shirt, holding him and not letting go, not letting go. Remember what Jesus said? You know what he did? He went, poked him in the hip. Oh! You don't think he could have done that at the top? You don't think at the beginning of this wrestling match he could have went, and he's done? He had to pull out of Jacob everything that was in him. He had to pull out the good, the bad, and the ugly. He had to pull out of him who he was. And once he got him holding on to God, he said, now I'm going to change your name. Called him Israel, the prince. We have to wrestle. He said, come on, wrestle with me. 
Wrestle with me. Join me in the throne room. Get the counsel of God in on this thing. Let's debate it. Let's argue it. Let's work it through. If it's not happening now, come back to me. Come back and wrestle through this thing till you can find the answer and set your case. Importunity is what Jesus called it when he talked about the woman with the judge who wouldn't answer the door, who wouldn't answer her plea. She was so persistent. He said, okay, fine. And Jesus said, if sinful people do that, how much more my Father will give you what you need. State your case. We quit on God. We quit in our prayers. We close the door to the temple. This world needs the church. It's the only answer. If your favorite politician doesn't get elected or re-elected, Jesus is the solution. The church is the answer. Please, people, look to Jesus. Last of all, watch. Ephesians 6 to 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Pray with all prayer and all supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. That's what the abode of God does. That's what a dwelling place of God does. It is a sanctuary of His presence so that it will mediate His care. Pray with all perseverance. Stay alert. That's how Mark ends his gospel on Mark 13 when he talks about the destruction of the temple. He says, Jesus says this, what I say to you, I say to all. He's talking about all Christians throughout time. Stay awake. Because what we've done is we've lost the treasure of what He did He made us all the abodes, the habitations of His presence. But we're not alert to it. We're asleep to the fact of who we are. We're just abiding not in His habitation. We're abiding in this mess till we can go to heaven and be happy. Stay alert, people of God. Watch. What does a temple do? See, what we've made, what's happened to the Word of God and what Christ accomplished so beautifully and wonderfully, and it's been lost. We just use, oh, I'm a temple of God. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a temple of God. We've forgotten what that means. What does a temple do? It mediates the will of God. Whose sins you remit, they will be remitted. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loosed. It's the government of God. Someone is seeking help. They come to a church. You're that church. We've made it a building when it is a living organism of people. We've made it heaven, a place you go to when it is here right now. We've made all the death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus wrought as icons, things we remember in the past. Instead of their power in the presence. The church is rising. The church is waking up. We're going to start seeing each other in the throne room in prayer. I'm going to be praying and I'm going to notice, hey, there's Sean. Hey, there's Bob. 
There's Sally. There's Sue. How will I know that? Just a kindred spirit. I'll know you've been praying for me. I'll know you've been praying for a situation. God invites us into the heavenlies to decree as his people, to be outposts of the high priest's declaration that we're not a building, we're a people all over this planet. And this planet's about to get rocked by the will of God. He's raising his church up. We're not some distant pie-in-the-sky thing, theology for heaven. We are the will of God in the earth today. And the presence of Christ is in us, not in a statue and not in our jewelry. He belongs in us. And rivers of living water are going to decree the will of God. Because of constant use of his word, we're going to discern what to do and what to say. Because we've spent our time in the throne room. 